0: Well, hello, and welcome to my very first episode of Could You Survive? This has been an extremely sucky week. It has been one thing after another with my kids. I have been taxi for everybody and everyone, and now, of course, school's going to start back up, and that means absolutely nothing because school's in my house, because COVID is still... Everywhere, apparently, and I am not a teacher. I suck at being a teacher. I barely made it through high school. So anyway, this is my new hobby. I wanted to give people uplifting stories to show that as much as we think our lives suck, that we're surviving, we're just fine. And that people have truly survived some amazing things. So what exactly does it take for your kids to understand that you're trying to do something? Because my son has walked into the only quiet place, which is the kitchen in here, four times in the last 10 minutes because he's looking for more food. I don't know what it is. What is up with teenage boys? Oh my God, they don't stop eating. And teenage girls, oh my God, Liera, she is insane. She snaps and bites my head off at the littlest, stupidest things and then flips around in two seconds. Hey, Mom, want to take me to go get my nails done? (sighs) These kids, I swear. Don't even get me started with Lucan. I swear. Terrible twos were not this hard freaking 15 years ago when I was starting. Now it's just like terrible until they get out of the house. twos, (laughs) because I'm about to lose my mind. I've got to do something with my time. So our first victim slash survivor is Kate Moore. She was a 17-year-old girl. She did good in school. She had lots of friends. She was very good to her parents, never really got into trouble. So when she was hitchhiking for a ride she never thought that she'd be picked up by two serial killers so Kate was picked up by David and Catherine Burney so David was the oldest of five children he grew up in a little suburb in western Australia he came from a very dysfunctional family his Previous members of the church recalled their family as promiscuous, alcoholic, and had incest. So, I don't know about you, but that ain't the family I'm looking for. So, his father was short and unattractive, and mother was known for her use of profanity because she was such a lady. (laughs) And... She would use sexual favors as payment when she needed rides from taxis. The pastor of the church wanted very badly to avoid this coupling because he knew that no good would ever come from the two of them being together. So David's friends state that the family home was filthy, unkept, and the parents never cooked one meal for their children. In the 60s, the family moved where they met Catherine through mutual friends. At 15, David quit school and became a jockey, which is a little tiny guy that rides on a horse because he was a little tiny guy just like his father. (laughs) But, of course, he couldn't just have his hobby of being a jockey. He had to also harm the horses. David started his career off with breaking into an elderly woman's room with a stocking on his head to attempt his first rape. does not say whether he actually completed this rape, but it just said he attempted it. When he was still a minor, he already had several misdemeanors and felonies. He was in and out of prison several times. Not to anybody's surprise, he became a sex and porno addict and a paraphiliac which is an intense sexual arousal to atypical objects, situations, fantasies, behaviors, or individuals. Cause I had to look that up because I had no freaking clue what it. meant. So David was married in his early twenties and had a daughter named Tanya. But at 10, Tanya lost her father to being arrested for one of his many lovely crimes. So Tanya never been married, never had children, And she states, because I don't wanna spawn another David Burney into this world. And she also changed her last name, which is still unknown to the media. In 86, David, good old David, got a job at a junkyard, because that's where every creepy man belongs, at a junkyard. And this is when he and Catherine started planning their sexual fantasies of rape and murder. Because why not? You're a creepy person and you find a creepy girl. So plan all the murders you can in a junkyard. Because that's just what every person does, of course. So, Catherine. So Catherine here. She was two when her mother died. Giving birth to her baby brother. And then two days after mom passed away. The baby passed away too. Unable to raise Catherine and still grief-stricken, Catherine's father sent her to live with her maternal grandparents, but at 12, Harold, her father, decided, no, I want her back now because let's make her as unstable as completely possible. So of course at 12, she came back and met back up with David, and at 14, they started dating. Harold begged his daughter to end the relationship with David, but that was about the stupidest thing he could have done, because that's just saying, give me the most amount of temptation so that I definitely end up going and doing this. (laughs) Sometimes people kill me. So, she also spent time in prison, no surprise, when she was a minor. Her parole officer and finally, father finally convinced her to break away from David. And with face with more jail time, she said, well, maybe I'll just get away from this loser for a little bit and go do what I need to do. She went and got a job with the McLaughlin family. She was a housekeeper. She fell in love with their eldest son, Donald. On her 21st birthday, she married good old Donald and they had seven freaking children together. Seven. Their first child was struck and killed by a car when he was still an infant, and it doesn't say anything about whether it was somebody driving or what was going on with that, but in 85, she left Donald and her six children, just left without any kind of reason, just took off and decided she's going to go live with David. She changed her last name to Bernie, but the couple was never actually married. She just was like, I don't want the McLaughlin name. I'm just gonna go be Miss Catherine Bernie, even though he doesn't even want to marry me. So that's cool and all. All right, so, their first victim was a woman 22 named Mary Nelson. She was a psychology student at the University of Western Australia. She was very popular, had lots of friends, worked at a deli on the side. She met David when she was looking for parts at the junkyard. She needed some tires for her car, but of course being a student and working at a deli, she didn't have a whole lot of extra money, so she was trying to find them cheaper. So of course, David being the white knight he is, he offered her some cheap tires, and she handed over that phone number. Of course, what ended up happening is they gagged her, chained her to the bed, raped her, while Catherine watched. Then they took her to Glen Ingalls National Park in Dale, where she was raped again, then strangled with a nylon cord. After she was dead, they then stabbed her because, quote, read that in a book somewhere that it would speed up the decomposition process. Because Dave is a genius. They buried her in a shallow grave. She would have received her psych degree that following year, but they had other plans for her. Our second victim is 15-year-old Susanna Candy. She was an outstanding high school student. She was hitchhiking when they had grabbed her because 15-year-olds are invincible and they never think anything bad is going to happen to them. So Susanna's father was one of the top ophthalmic surgeons, which is an eye doctor. Um, The Bernies forced her to write a letter to her family saying she was fine, but of course it didn't work because she never went out and never did anything, so her parents knew that something was wrong. The couple was cruising for hours when they crossed paths with Susanna. As soon as she was in the car, they held a knife to her and tied her up. Took her back to their home, raped her. And then Catherine started to realize that David was turned on when they both harmed the girl. I don't know how she came to this conclusion, but I guess she just decided that's what would turn him on. So Catherine climbed into the bed after the rape. David attempted to strangle the girl with a nylon cord and she was screaming and so frantic that they decided that torturing her right now probably wasn't the best decision. (laughs) So they instead grabbed a big handful of sleeping pills and shoved it down her throat to calm her down. So when Susanna was passed out, David told Catherine to prove her undying love by killing somebody. Okay, very reasonable. Anyway, when asked later why Catherine did this, she said, Because I wanted to see how strong I was within my inner self. I didn't feel a thing, it was like I expected. I was prepared to follow him to the end of the earth and do anything to see that his desires were satisfied. She was a female. Females hurt and destroy males yeah she's super stable okay so Susanna was buried very close to Mary in that same park our third victim was Nolene Patterson she was 31 years old she was pulled over on the side of Canning Highway where she ran out of gas she worked as a manager at a golf course and that night When David and Catherine pulled up to see what was wrong, they grabbed her, they gagged her, held a knife to her throat, and then drove back to the house where they raped her, and then they planned to kill Nolene that same night. But David formed some kind of emotional attachment with her, and I guess that Nolene was trying to play her cards right and get him on her side, but didn't realize that, The puppeteer was actually Catherine. So Catherine, of course, became enraged and jealous over the attention that Nolene was getting. So Catherine just said, gave him an automaton. He kills her or she will kill herself. So David immediately shoved a handful of sleeping pills down Nolene's throat and strangled her in her sleep. Very reasonable. Catherine said she took great pleasure in throwing sand on Nolene's face as she was buried. Because she's a weirdo. The fourth victim and final kill that they actually had was 21-year-old Denise Brown. She was waiting for a bus on Sterling Highway. They offered her a ride and she took it. Nice young couple. Why not take a ride from them? She was also held at Knife Point. She was taken back to their home. She was chained, gagged, and raped. Next afternoon, she was taken to Wanneroo Pine Plantation. While they were in the seclusion of the forest, David continued to rape her until Catherine said, Oh, It's dark enough outside. We can probably take her out there and kill her now. (laughs) When they dragged her out of the car, he decided, I need one last rape. And then, he stabbed her in the neck. Convinced she was dead, they dug a shallow grave and laid her in it. But Denise was not dead. She sat up in the grave and was trying desperately to escape with her life. But... David grabbed an axe and struck her in the head twice then buried her. So nobody knows if she was completely dead or not, but she certainly is now. Okay, and our survivor, Kate Moore, was their fifth victim. She was only 17 years old. She was forced to call her mom and told her mom she had too much to drink. So she said she was going to stay at a friend's house. But she was hoping that her mom would catch her little ruse and call the friend knowing that Kate was not a drinker. Kate went through absolute hell. She was raped three times and endured hours and hours of abuse and terror. She described in detail the shininess of the chains that they held her in in the mustard-colored robe that her rapist wore and treated her like a play toy. They would share their marijuana with her and would make her take showers before and after each rape occurred because they wanted her to be the clean one because they were god-awful disgusting people. So, some of the movies they made her watch, she would memorize, especially the day she escaped. She memorized that Rocky was still in the VHS player. And for everybody that is pre-DVD or iPad or whatever, you know what I'm talking about. So she also left little clues throughout the house. She wanted somebody to know that somebody was there in case anybody ever stopped by, a friend, a family member... So she put a lipstick in the couch and she also would put the sleeping pills that they were trying to force her to take, she would hide them under her tongue and then she would put them under the mattress. They actually were making her sleep in the same bed as them. So, after she got into the car, she noticed that the car door had no handle on the inside or outside. Soon, she realized there was no escape. She asked, are you going to rape or kill me? And the reply came from Catherine, we'll only rape you if you're good. Oh, thanks. Do Thank you. If I'm good. You'll still do horrible things to me. Oh, that sounds fantastic. <sighs> Miss Moore was extremely intoxicated when she accepted the ride from the serial killers, one source says. David pulled a butcher's knife out of his Ugg boot because regular grown men wear Uggs, apparently, and held it against her throat. Catherine says to her husband, do you have the munchies? Which meant they had found their latest target. Yeah, some playful little memes for uh, finding somebody and killing them. Okay. David was definitely the puppet, and Catherine was the puppeteer. Catherine would give her approval by telling David, I've got the munchies, which means you can have this one. She states that they made me dance in front of them to Dire Straits song, Romeo and Juliet. It was two hours of torture, mentally and physically. I cried constantly as I danced around for them. I was just so screwed up. So screwed up. She says, I had a 200% chance of dying and a 5% chance of getting away. Sounds like uh, Kate was as good a math as I am, <laughs> but still, she knew that her chances weren't very good, and she still wanted to survive at any chance she had. So the first time she was raped by David, Catherine watched the entire time and took notes. Another shower, then she was chained back to the bed. She begged and begged them for days which that doesn't make sense because I thought she escaped the next day, but uh, different sources. So she begged for a pen and paper to write goodbye letters to her loved ones. After she continued screaming the first night, David came down and told her the sleeping arrangements have changed. And she was grabbed up by her chains and moved to the master bedroom where the rapes continued some more. She thought truthfully to herself, quote, I thought if I went to sleep, I would never wake up. Gosh. She was handcuffed on her ankle to David's and was offered pills to make her sleep. But she wanted to survive and would hold them under her tongue and stash them under the mattress. When David went to work, she decided she's got 50-50 odds now. She can take one person, but she can't take two. She just needed to befriend Catherine and get her to drop down her guard. There was a knock on the door that distracted Catherine, and she didn't chain Kate back up. Quote, the window in the bedroom must have been locked. I got the courage to break the lock and push it open, says Kate. She fell out of the window onto the driveway when she was all bloodied and bruised and even smashed her head on the concrete. She struggled to pull herself back up and ran across the road to the closest house. She tried three different houses and eventually was even attacked by a dog in a backyard before she realized there was a store across the street. So she ran to a man standing outside and said, I have been raped. Please take me inside and call the police. And if a woman shows up saying I'm her daughter and we've been in a fight, don't believe it. I've been raped. So the guy believed her and he was like, this is not going to happen. When she arrived at the police station, nobody believed her story. Well, one story says that the police came to the business that she was at, but another says that the man drove her to the police station. So, the police didn't believe anything that she had to say because it was a normal couple, and normal couples didn't do those kind of things, and they thought maybe she was just some crazy girl trying to get attention. But there was a police officer lady that wholeheartedly believed her story and she took the time to sit there and listen to all the details about the lipstick being in the couch and the sleeping pills under the bed and even Rocky being in the VHS player and she went and decided to go knock on their door and when she went in there she found all of the evidence she needed and that is how they were caught and their... Spree came to an end, but they also think that there are possibly other victims the Cheryl Renwick and Barbara Western Were suggested also, but nobody's ever been able to actually Cooperate they were and it was also suggested that David was responsible for the disappearance of Lisa Mott, but David's first wife Gave him an alibi and said she was with him that entire day when Mott disappeared. Okay, so now to the fun part. Okay, so they go to court and they both receive 20 years before they're even allowed parole. So the couple exchanged over 2,600 letters back and forth. Until David one day just decided on October 7, 2005, when he was 54, I'm just gonna hang myself because I'm a big coward and that's what cowards do. So in 2007, Catherine's parole was denied. In 2017, Catherine's youngest son, Peter, called for her execution because even her children know that she's a monster and never ever deserves to be out in society ever again. So, if anybody enjoyed my little segment, I would like you to write to me or you could send a message in on this at who or what am I thinking? Could you survive at gmail.com? <laughs> and I will send this out to everybody with love and hope that it is accepted.